Welcome to Reciprocity Podcast, where we discuss the backstories and strategies of photojournalists, sports photographers, documentary filmmakers, and photo editors. Now, here's your host, Brett Carlson. So our guest today is Julio Cortez. Julio is the staffer for the Associated Press based in Baltimore, Maryland. Previously, he worked in northern New Jersey, and he's worked all over the country, actually, at this point. Uh, and he's done the Olympics, National Football League, you know, all, everything you could dream of that the Associated Press does, Julio has done it. Currently, though, he's right there in Baltimore, Maryland, kind of halfway between Washington, D.C. and Philadelphia. Julio, um, what have you been up to most recently? I know this position's kind of kind of a new spot for you, right? Yeah, I, I started working in Baltimore late uh, uh, July last year. And uh, so I'm, I'm still trying to figure out where everything is and how things work here. But, um, you know, this whole situation right now kind of threw a curve on me um, because, again, I was trying to get sources and trying to establish uh, a work uh, flow here. And then all of a sudden things just kind of changed. Yeah. And when things change, meaning obviously coronavirus, um, you were actually down at spring training down in Florida. Yeah, I was. Um, I was doing the second half. We we break out the uh, spring training in two, two portions. So we'll send a photographer early to do uh, a lot of the features uh, when the pitchers and catchers uh, check in. Um, that's where you get to do a lot of the fun uh, behind the scenes, uh, photography, but, um, but I went down for the second half, which is straight, uh, photographing games and trying to make all the stock photography we can, as well as a bunch of pretty pictures. Yeah. And, uh, so you were enjoying what I jokingly called like the staffer spring break. And then now all of a sudden during the middle of like a game, pretty much you guys got pulled. I mean, basically everything got shut down. Like, were you at a game? Wasn't it? Yeah, so I was getting ready to shoot uh, a game. Um, the The Yankees were visiting uh, the Nationals, and so it was a pretty big game um, considering these two teams uh, could potentially meet again in the postseason not too far future. And uh, so it was a big game, and, uh, you know, just shooting around uh, the batting practice when I usually carry uh, a earbud in, in my ear, and. And I listen to MLB a radio or uh, or satellite radio just to kind of be on top of what what's going on, you know, any breaking news. And of course, there was some breaking news happening then. We were in the dugout and the Yankees were were taking batting practice. And uh, there was a, a word that uh, they were thinking about canceling the baseball, the spring training um, the night before they had canceled the NBA. So. It was just a matter of when a baseball was going to get canceled. And there was some buzz on, on MLB uh, radio. And, you know, you can just tell from watching uh, the personnel there, the managing editor, uh, the, um, I'm, I'm sorry, the, uh, the uh, manager. Um, like the team manager, right? Uh, yeah, the, the team manager and uh, and a couple of the, executives were were kind of talking and it just didn't look good um the manager uh, boom was kind of like had a had an interesting face on his uh you know uh, as a result so i knew that they were probably telling him well we're gonna play this game but after this 
were shutting down. So that's that's how that went down for me. I mean, I think for everyone, it was a huge whirlwind. Um, but as a staffer, I mean, I think, I mean, I've never been a staffer at a wire service. So I always kind of get this impression that you guys kind of go where everything goes and it's kind of sort of up in the air. But at that point, you're you're in a pretty locked in schedule, um, you know, with spring training and stuff and kind of spring sports. Um, what is what is like what is life like now that I mean, kind of a lot of stuff has been disrupted. Sure. Baseball got canceled, but we're news photographers. So we had to come come up with ideas of, of how to uh, tell the news. So obviously didn't pack up the, the gear and, and came home, had to kind of photograph what it looked like, you know, with baseball stadiums shutting down down there and fans coming in from all over the country to essentially be on vacation and watch some baseball and then all of a sudden have to turn around. Uh, so there was some news aspect to that. We weren't really sure if uh, the teams were going to do some sort of uh, spring training workout, you know, that maybe be limited to to fans, uh, oh, yeah. to no fans, uh, just something like that. So we had to figure that out first. And um, as a as AB uh, photographer, you're kind of on your own. Basically, they, they tell you these are your five teams that you got to cover in uh, spring training and you have to come back with, with the images. Uh, so you, you have to hit the ground pretty hard and, and basically do all the research yourself uh, because nobody's going to really call, you know, call you and tell you this is going on. You, you're pretty much building relationships and building context that may be able to do that. But, but again, you it's up to you to get those pictures. So, uh, with with us not knowing what was going on, uh, it was really hard. The the, the uh, teams weren't giving us a lot of information. Uh, I got lucky in a couple things. Uh, the one that was the, the I figure the luckiest was um, I went to the Astros uh, training facility and I was just hanging out talking to a uh, security guard, and all of a sudden the manager Dusty Baker shows up in his pickup. And he's got his luggage and he rolls his luggage into the uh, the clubhouse. So I'm thinking, that's kind of weird. Like usually <laughs> he'd be packing to leave. Is he going to spend the next few months here? Like we have no idea because there was never any information about it. But still watching him pull his uh, luggage and uh, it was kind of symbolic of things are shutting down. Things are kind of uncertain. So that was pretty cool. But again, that's something that. I had to kind of dig out myself. Yeah. So let's let's back it up. I think uh, a big thing a lot of our listeners are into is kind of like where you came from and like how you got to where you are. So can you tell us a little bit about the beginning of your career and how you got into photography and basically how that how how you pushed from wherever you started out into a professional career? Yeah. So um, I came to the States when I was 10 years old. We migrated from Mexico to California. You know, up up until being a 10-year-old, all I knew was soccer, soccer, soccer. So then I come to the States and I discover baseball and football and all these other sports that um, I had no idea existed. And I drew uh, a huge connection with with baseball, um, especially in L.A. with Fernando Valenzuela being, you know, a, a key Mexican player that uh, a lot of my countrymen looked up to kind of just fell into me. So my dream at 
12 years old was I'm going to be a sports reporter and I'm going to cover the Dodgers. And that's going to be my, my beat. And so, uh, for, for many years, I did my, uh, my schooling all about journalism. I basically joined every newspaper at every school I went to. And, and the goal was to be a sports writer. And at some point when I was a sophomore in college, um, I picked up a camera and started shooting a little bit more, um, and really kind of liked it. Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, uh, September 11 happened and I was working at a, uh, at the Los Angeles Daily News in the sports department as a copy boy. And I knew and that, that morning I had a uh, class, um, uh, and I knew that I had to skip class to go straight to the paper because somehow or another, they were going to need me to do something. Yeah. Um, because September 11. So, uh, so I went, but in order to get to the, uh, sports, uh, section, you have to go through the photo section. And I walked in and basically every open area was covered with the printout, uh, for mostly wire images, uh, of what was going on in, in New York. And I probably spent a good hour just looking at every picture and caption and just thinking, wow, this is like instant history right now. So I'm like, I'm going to be a photographer. Screw being a sports uh, writer. Uh, I really want to do a, a show history through pictures. So that's really where, where it happened. I, I lucked out. I cut a break with a couple internships. Um, I did four internships uh, ranging from Spanish newspapers to uh, a tiny, tiny little paper in the middle of nowhere, Texas, in, in uh, San Angelo, Texas. And then I did the uh, the Associated Press when when I graduated college, which kind of opened the door for me to to get on board with the AP. Wow. So, I mean, I, I've. I had no interest in words at all. <laughs> I was always art. So now I've interviewed two people that were like, I'm going to be a reporter and then kind of like switched in, I think. Um, did you find that those skill sets transitioned into the photojournalism and stuff like that? I mean, you know, writing and photo photography can't be any more different, but um, the journalism is still in both of those titles. Right. Yeah. Well, it's funny because a lot of people I show up to assignments and they're like, oh, you're just a photographer, right? And I'm like, actually, no, I'm I'm the reporter uh, because I still carry myself as a reporter. You know, having the um, the, the journalism, the basic uh, print journalism background is a huge plus, especially working for AP, because, again, like I said, you're you're on your own. You, you got to find things yourself. You got to know how to make connections and stay on top of them. Um, and also writing uh, helps out a whole lot. Uh, writing captions. Um, I know you and I have talked about this before where there's a great picture, but the captions are just horrendous. And, uh, you know, I remember the very first day I, I, on my internship with AP, um, I, I did, I went out and, and shot features. Uh, my internship was in Chicago. So I went around and, and shot features and did some research on, on some of the features I, I shot and submitted. And, uh, one of the the higher ups um, who was kind of overseeing my my section, Cliff Schiappa, uh, messaged me and said, "I've never seen such a well written caption from from an intern." And I said, "Well, you know, I've, I've kind of had five years of uh, reporting experience from uh, working at the paper, so that's that's where it comes." And 
you know, yeah. right now during the coronavirus uh, days, because every everything's so thinned out, um, I've written or three stories already. So it's actually come back a full circle to to writing um, and reporting. That's so cool. I yeah, I will uh, sh- shamelessly admit that like I think everyone in school took like uh, like a, a journalistic writing class or something like that. But I transferred and I didn't have to ever take that. <laughs> so I like not only didn't go to a J school, I also went to an art school and somehow skipped the journalistic writing class. Um, so I've actually never picked up an AP style book, which is shameful as well. But I, I'm told I have good captions. I actually do editing now. So I, I, I somehow picked it up along the way. But I guess I took the long road there. So you're not just a sports photographer, though, but you cover a ton of sports. So I know you wanted to be a sports reporter when you came out of this. But like when you were starting into those internships and out of college and stuff, like what were some of the things you were doing then? You mean photography in college or out of college yeah like because i know like now you do a lot of sports but you still do news and everything obviously ap is a do-it-all position but like you you knew going into it that you wanted to do sports but when you came out of college were you were you just straight into sports or were you you were probably doing a lot of other things too though yeah i was doing a little bit of everything like I said I, I finished my schooling with ap uh didn't they didn't have a job for me right off the bat so um they they told me you know go work somewhere and we'll keep you in mind and we'll get you back in as soon as we can. So I, I went and worked in, in, in rural Florida, in Vero Beach, Florida, uh, for 15 months, uh, which is, it was a great place to be because, uh, you know, it's small town, Florida, uh, you're on the coast, a lot of really cool stories. Um, I was doing actually a lot of Latin, uh, Mexican based, uh, stories because there was a small community in Felsmere, Florida, right outside of Barrow Beach. Not a very large town, but obviously plenty of people from Mexico that, you know, brought over their traditions. And so I, I was covering stuff there uh, in that little town that were being printed in, in their local paper for the first time ever. And they were very uh, happy to be published. But also, it was really interesting to see how you know the pushback from the readers, the, who didn't want that uh, published. So you know, it, it, I wasn't doing it because I'm Mexican. I was just doing it because I thought, man, this is a s- stories that are not told. So that that kind of uh, you know set a, a a pace for me, I guess. And it wasn't all sports. You know, in rural Florida, you're covering maybe high school fo- uh, football in the fall and maybe some basketball in the winter and and then that's basically it as far as sports is. The The Super Bowl was in Florida that in Miami that year. And uh, it's funny, they sent me down for, for the week, you know, celebrations, uh, events. Yeah. But I didn't shoot the game because they, they didn't, they, they basically the answer, we'll get it from AP. I was just shooting what I could. From there, I went to uh, the Houston Chronicle, which, you know, much bigger paper, much bigger city. And uh, again, I was doing all kinds of, different angles there I was, uh, they sent me down to the border a bunch of times uh but the way it used to be at the chronicle is you were on a rotation so you would work different shifts for about six or eight weeks i can't remember now but so you know when you were on the night shift and and it was spring or summer you would be doing baseball yeah uh, you know so i did a little bit of sports not as much as i would like to um in fact i never shot a football game 
for the Chronicle, which is kind of weird. I was there three three years. Again, I was doing really just about everything. My my favorite shift was, was the six a.m. shift because you got all the crazy uh, breaking news, and you were out there early, and you got out early, and and you got a you got a chance to do other things. So, uh, so to answer your question, yeah, you know, it wasn't all sports. Uh, it was a lot of human interest stories, a lot of uh, immigration stories, you know, stuff that really mattered. Yeah, I guess the the point of this question is, um, I mean, people our age or similar age kind of understand this, but I think like a lot of young people when they're coming out of school, I meet a lot of young people now that are like, well, I want to be a sports photographer, so I just do sports. And like you look at their portfolio and it's like, if it's not all sports, it's effectively all sports. And I think they lose sight of the fact that a lot of the people that shoot a ton of sports don't exclusively shoot sports. And they also left college with a full portfolio of a lot of abilities. And I was just making sure that that was true of you as well. Yeah, it's really interesting to see photographers, how they're handling things right now. The the sports space photographers, you know, at, at least just from what I see, uh, on social media, uh, and maybe even on print, it's very limited. They're, you know, I, I feel like they they're strictly sports photographers, so they're using this as a time to kind of, you know, relax and 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 just be calm. Uh, whereas you know, the rest of the uh, the photographers who are uh, well rounded or more versatile, they're out there trying to make something. You know, like uh, I don't always get to shoot news uh right now just because uh in baltimore it, you know it kind of comes and goes it's uh it the the corona it it's it's a major thing here but it's it's also kind of not the epicenter so um it's not as great or um or as visual yeah uh, especially with access um trying to get access anywhere is just in, almost impossible so you know uh trying to keep the eye you know healthy by shooting daily um you know i've taken into shooting more bird life and all that because i think it kind of keeps you on your toes kind of like the way baseball does you know where you you got to turn and shoot you know you gotta you gotta keep going and and so i i feel that um a lot of us are doing that you know you you see a lot of people out there shooting something different that they they haven't really done because they just want to keep shooting yeah, I mean that's totally been my approach. My approach is just keep keep working, keep figuring out new things, keep finding new stories and pitching them, which has brought me success during this time and during my whole career. So, but yeah, it's like a, it's a big frustration of mine right now. It's like I keep meeting young people that are like you know good at sports and they love sports and that's awesome. But I keep telling them like you gotta do the other stuff, you know. And I say the same thing to the other people that are leaving school or starting their career. And they hate sports. They want nothing to do with sports. And it's like, but the sports will teach you a lot about timing and backgrounds and composition and getting those isolated frames that then translate to kind of the fine art documentary or reportage or journalism. Like it translates, they both translate in both directions, but it's like, you can't just do the only thing that you 100% want to do. Like, yes, you should put weight on that, but I feel like these young people should be able to do more than one thing. Yeah. I, I could I kind of understand it too because when I was in college there was a a really good boxing reporter at the paper and at the LA Daily News Michael Rosenthal who is just you know 
when when you look at sports report um boxing reporters he's you know in the top of the the game there and uh he often would tell me you know do journalism you're gonna be a a, a sports writer someday that's not gonna you know that's that's not the question here but go find another another thing to study drop journalism from your major and go major in something different like something that could save you down the line because I think he could tell that you know journalism was was not going to be what it is for uh you know forever and and I've just remember thinking yeah but I got my my eyes set on what I want to do and and I'll just do that you know in retrospect I should have gone you know and and done an economics or a marketing or some sort of degree that would have helped me down the line luckily because I'm employed by a, a great company and I hope I stay employed by this by this company for a while I I don't need to uh know about marketing but yeah. if I were out of a job I would be clueless as far as you know business management and, and marketing skills yeah no I, I that's a whole whole nother ball of wax the uh freelance transition that so many people go through but so backing up a little bit so you mentioned that when you were in Florida and then at the Chronicle you started doing stories that were kind of uh, more focused on Hispanic cultures. What was that like being able to tell those stories and how did you leverage your past to help tell stories and also maybe to become more employable? I mean, you have a skill set at the very least in language, but there's a cultural understanding that I know I'll never possess or haven't yet so far in my life, you know? Yeah, you know, it's um, I basically uh, started story brainstorming just to figure out what can I do here that would be different? You know, because the the Florida life in, in Vero Beach is pretty straightforward. It's, you know, snowbirds in the in the winter and then basically, you know, your beach feature and and your small community stories here and there. Uh, but I wanted to do that uh, without a doubt. But I wanted to do something that could kind of catapult me to a, a bigger market. And, and I, I interned in uh, two different places in Texas. So um, I really wanted to go back to Texas. And, and so basically that was my angle. I, I wanted to do uh, stories that could be told in, in Florida. It could be told in Texas. It can be told in California um, as, as a way to kind of package myself for the future. So that, that was my, my way in. And have, speaking uh, the language of the people there, uh, especially like I said in this town, uh, Felsmere was was all Mexicans. You know, knowing how to talk to them in their language and using their slangs, and 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 knowing a little bit of uh, you know tidbits of of what they're what's important to them, kind of opened some doors. Um, in fact, my very first story that I did there uh, was uh, uh, there was a big soccer match uh, in in Mexico. Uh, two of the biggest rivals were playing each other, and so, you know, of course, I, I went to the local market there, and I said, "All right, there's got to be a family here who's like stri- strictly all Club America fans. Is there one?" And they're like, "Oh, sure, yeah, they're down the, the road." And I'm like, "Is there a rival family that you know?" And they're like, "Well, they're rivals within their own family." And in fact, we're gonna watch the game in somebody's garage. We're gonna project it on, uh, into the uh, the wall in the garage and we're going to have a big party. You should come over. I was like, perfect. And knowing that just kind of 
you know, gave me a, an opportunity to meet people, to kind of uh, network and uh, and pick their brains as far as what stories uh, were coming out of there eventually, you know. So I met a lady who's been there forever. She had 10 kids and she was going to graduate her 10th kid out of the same high school, you know. And this is a woman who probably had like a fourth grade or fifth grade education and all her kids were high school graduates, which which is a big feat. So we did a story on that, you know, so using those, those, uh, that knowledge or, or that understanding of the culture kind of helped out moving forward from there. Uh, when I uh, applied for my job in, at the Chronicle, they, they told me they, they were going to fly me in for, for a quick interview on a Tuesday. And, you know, we were going to do, I was going to interview with five different editors throughout the day. And so I was going to fly in on Monday night and, and, interview all day on 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 tuesday and i asked them any chance you can fly me in saturday night or even sunday morning because i i kind of want to look around uh town and and just kind of figure out if if houston would be a great place for me to go or not um, obviously I, I like i said before i i always wanted to go to uh houston so it wasn't it was kind of my myself buying me some time so i can go research some some stories and, and show up to the interview with some story ideas yeah um so anyways um i found out that there was a big guadalupe festival parade uh in downtown that that sunday so i flew in they flew me in on on, on sunday got there just before it started so unloaded my stuff in the hotel dropped off and grabbed my gear and ran ran out to to the festival it, 10,000 people on the streets of, of Houston, you know, dressed up in indigenous outfits and singing and, and parading and doing all this stuff. So this is back when sound slides was a big hit. So I, I did a, a nice little package with sound slides uh, that I presented to every editor that I met uh, on Tuesday. And basically I, I brought in Monday's paper and I said, look, one of the biggest things happened in your city uh, on Sunday and you had a standalone uh, small picture on page three of your, of your main section. This is a large portion of your population, and this is how you basically portrayed them. Uh, here's my package. You're welcome to use it if you like, but if, if anything, just know that this is the kind of quality work you'll get. Wow. And, you know, basically sold myself. Like, we had yeah. uh, a couple of people... Um, applying for this job and, and I got it. So, you know, again, just knowing a little bit, something different about the, the community, something that, that, you know, I can't say that only I knew, but definitely I knew about it. So I, I, I banked on it. Yeah. And I think, I think like, I mean, we hear a lot about diversity in the newsrooms and I think, you know, I, I always tell young people that aren't, like me, I'm a white dude. If everyone didn't already know that, um, I always tell young people when I meet them that have a second language, that have you know are from another country or have family from another country, I always tell them to like leverage that, you know, like leverage it in any way you can. I mean, at the very least, if you understand a second language, like leverage that, put it down in resumes, but find stories that only you can tell. And it sounds like you did that not only in one town, but now even even get a job interview, which is bold. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was going to be perceived uh, as, you know, I coming in and telling them how to do their job, but I definitely 
I, I think of of the people that I met, everybody was very excited about seeing what what I can provide. But again, you know, I, I, that's just one one angle. And like you said, if you know m- multiple languages, or even if you're just have a different uh, interest, you know, uh, use that to your advantage because uh, it might it might help you out uh, in the long run, uh, knowing uh, some inside information or 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 having people that uh, you know connections that could give you that information. Yeah, I think what you were describing in uh, Florida is is like what all of us do to work a story. I mean, it's you know you you find a way into a community. You kind of build up some trust. You kind of do maybe a smaller little story or you like you do. You find some way to build up that relationship and then you you dive deeper and you find the deeper stories and you find the better stories. And you can if you work at a paper, maybe you just grow that out into like a pool that you come back to every once in a while. Uh, With me being independent, I look at it for jobs for different publications or like personal work, stuff like that. Um, You started this conversation by talking about building your. Um, sources and networks up now in Baltimore. So as a staffer, you're you're still doing that. You're still building up connections and networks of people uh, when you are in a city. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um. You know, I've, I've been reaching out to people, uh, left and right, and saying, you know, number one, it's it's good to say, you know, I work for the Associated Press because I think people tend to listen a little bit more and take or take you a little bit more serious. But you know, again, um because of the type of stories that I might be pursuing uh, access is, is not quite as uh, easy to come, come around. There's been a lot of, a lot of headaches trying to find something useful. And, and the, the reason being is, you know, when you work for AP, when you shoot photos for AP, your images have to have uh, a long drive, you know, so it, it can't be super hyper local because we don't want them. You know that's the sad uh, truth about AP. You know your your photos have to be relevant in Milwaukee, have to be relevant in Denver. They, you know if they go internationally relevant, even better. So it's it's hard. It's hard to um, get the access to like this bigger type of um, ideas, but it can happen. I mean, this this past week, uh, I tried really hard to try to get into the Pimlico race track because the Preakness would have been on Saturday. And I wanted to tell a story of what, what it's like for this place to be deserted on a week when it would be bonkers, but the access was, was non-existent. So I had to figure out a way to work around it. And uh, I wound up making some pretty decent pictures. A lot of them were, you know, shot from the street with telephoto lens, but, you know, um, they were shot in a way where it, it kind of showed a little bit of intimacy. It didn't look like it was shot from a mile away or whatever. So I, I was able to get away with it and, and tell the story. But again, you know, if somebody would have said, yeah, come on in, you know, uh, we're given access, um, it would have been great. But again, uh, had, a, had I been working with, you know, this group of people for years, maybe the, the, the answer would have been yes. But I'm still like the new guy that just randomly calls or emails and says, hey, I'm with, with AP, let me in. Yeah, yeah, no, it makes sense. It's just always building that network of trust. Um, 
I'm going to I'm going to piggyback a little bit off that horse racing. A lot of people that listen to this show are sports nuts. <laughs> they are if they're not sports photographers, they really like hearing about it. And I know there's another group that is the opposite. So we've kind of covered the first half of that. Uh let's jump into sports. What what is your job look like as an AP staffer? Like what's the breakdown of news versus sports for either you or most of the people that work for the AP as shooters? We mostly do about 70% sports and then the rest is, is breaking news. And again, it's it's just because that's where uh, the interest is. That's where people in other or organizations in other uh, parts of the world or, or parts of the country are, are needing those pictures. So obviously, you know, the uh, pro sports is, is a big part of it. So, um, yeah. On a on an average week, I, I probably do four four days of of sports and one day of, of breaking news. Um, and should something really really crazy happens, you know, a plane goes down, uh, there's a bank robbery with you know, God forbid, ten people dead, then we shift things and you know I'll go shoot sports and then I'll hire a, a freelancer to take my spot and and do the ball game. Yeah. And then as far as the AP goes, uh, you guys cover every single MLB game, every single NBA game, every single NHL game, every single NFL game, every single MLS game. Like, right. You cover all of those, right? No, MLS is a little bit different just because uh, the uh, the revenue is not there. Yeah. Uh, so you just cover some of those. But the other ones you cover every single game, right? Yeah. 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 It's, um, Basically, we have we have to be there to tell the story. Uh, basically, for everything. So, um, you know, if there's a ninth inning brawl, we have to be there. Um, yeah. You know, so if, then, if the football game goes into overtime, you know, we definitely have to be there. So. Yeah. Uh, so it's so it's like it's just it's just such a huge commitment. And I think people like maybe lose sight of that is that every single one of those times like 30 teams in each of those professional sports plus nascar plus golf um to say it's a full-time job is an understatement i mean you guys have uh pretty much a staffer in every major u.s city and some second tier cities at least for quite a while it used to be every state capital but i know that's not as true anymore but i mean it's just such a huge operation so what is what does your day look like when you're covering a sporting event it's pretty relaxed, actually. I mean, if we if you know you got a, a a baseball game, basically you show up a couple hours before the game and and do uh, not so much batting practice unless somebody you know it's it's a a newsmaker is is taking batting practice. Maybe they they trade it for somebody and uh and it's their first batting practice or uh but you just show up and shoot a little bit a little bit of art. Uh, then you just go into the game, um, so that's it's it's pretty s- straightforward. You show up, you shoot a game. Uh, a lot of these sports, because of uh, the commitment it takes to get there, get settled, uh, shoot the game, edit, and then leave. You're you're basically already uh, burning your eight hour shift. So that's that's all you get to do, um, unless you're working on on a project or or you got another feature idea that you might want to do uh before your game uh that's not related to sports you might 
put in a little bit extra hours there, but but usually it's just you do the game and and you're done. Um, there's been situations where uh, you had a ball game and something major happens and you know you got to kind of shift things and uh, as soon as the game's over, you kind of go and and do the the news part of it. Um, yeah. You know, we had uh, I know uh, our uh, Kansas City photographer uh, one time was shooting a ball game and a couple hours down the way there was a, a major tornado that hit so he, as soon as the game was over he basically got in his car and drove to the tornado site and and shot all all night so there are some days where it, it can get a little nutty like that but uh day to day you just again you shoot your game you try to do it the best you can um you know we we operate heavily on uh on our stock photography so you spent you're spending a lot of time uh editing your seconds uh either the night of of the game or before the next game yeah i mean i do that ton of that too and i'm working doing sports i'm always like you know you, you shoot a football game on sunday and then i spend pretty much all day monday just doing second edits you know because that's that's what you know the client needs and you you need to get all that stuff up that's kind of the value in you going is being able to have a, a lot of those players documented for the next week's game you know who knows what the defensive tackle might get traded or kind of stuff like that um for a lot of people in college kind of i think think we only get maybe that top photo or something like that but even my friends that shoot other stuff they're like wait what how many pictures you send <laughs> it's like it adds up yeah and right now it's proven to be um, why it's so valuable to to shoot all that stock because um, there, since there's no sports and they're still trying to put out sports pages, there's a lot of the stock photos being published uh, uh, left and right that basically were going straight into the archive for you know a rainy day like today. Um, so that's yeah, I I I get uh, the alerts uh, pretty often with uh, with images that were just a stock photo of, of, you know, a linebacker in squaring up or whatever. Um, and, and, you know, again, we shoot those because they're valuable and, and right now it's, it's proving that. Yeah. I, I got a bunch this week from, uh, that dummy that decided to do an armed robbery or allegedly did an armed robbery this week. I have, I got a bunch of Google alerts cause I evidently shot him in like December, I guess <laughs> I, I wouldn't have known he was just some defensive player. But now, yeah, I got all over the web. I, you know, I must have been one of the last people to shoot him because tons and tons of hits on that on that photo. Right. So when you approach sports, kind of what what are you looking to do when you're at that game, both for the AP and for yourself? Like, I mean, um, we interviewed some other people that do sports and, you know, it's it's, it's repetitive. I mean, that's that's, a, that's kind of the nature of it. You know, we're, we're, we're shooting these sports, but it's, you know, baseball games, a baseball game, especially when you're doing. 70% of your career is shooting sports possibly like how do you how do you keep it fresh what do you try to do to keep things interesting yeah so I, I try to do a lot of artsy featurey type of photos uh, from sports just because it kind of keeps things fresh the the great thing about working in a place of like Baltimore uh, is you get a little bit more leeway of, of where you can go and access um, for example uh, when I worked in New Jersey and, and did Yankee games, 
you basically are set two photo pits and uh and that's it so you're at the end of each dugout and that's all you can shoot from there there's an overhead spot on uh, just above those wells uh in the main concourse but it's but it's kind of difficult because it's it's a platform but fans can walk in front of you so it uh it's not sometimes you you miss stuff um and then that's it you can't go anywhere if you want like that beautiful sunset picture over Yankee Stadium, you kind of have to go incognito. You you grab a wide angle lens and you kind of tuck it and you know go to the top of the stands and shoot it. But as soon as uh, ushers see you with the camera, you know they're they're asking questions. But like I said, in Baltimore, you can basically go just about anywhere. The only rule is you can't go uh, behind the home plate in the first four rows. But after that. You can move around anyway. If there's an open seat, you show up and you know just be mindful of the the fans. If if somebody tells you to move, you got to move because you know they don't want to uh, take off the, uh, the the fans. But essentially, you can just shoot about everywhere. So it's it's fun to do that. Different angles, different situations. Uh, I I can't stand seeing um, people sit at, at the first first base well for nine innings because I'm thinking like what did you get I mean I'm sure if there was a great play at home plate or at second base you got it but but there's a lot of dud time uh in between yeah and, and so I, I'm just thinking uh, yeah I would go nuts if I did that I would I you know I'm I'm, I'm an overachiever so I'm always like I got to get all the features and the the prettier the sky is the better uh the different angle the better so I try to do that. Um, like with football, uh, you know, the introductions are my favorite part, you know, especially if it's uh, like the, the jet game when where they put up a, a, a inflatable tunnel and they put some smoke in there. And because I worked well with the, the Jets PR, they kind of know me. They, they know I'm not going to do something silly. So I get a little bit more of a freedom to do, you know, whatever in there. So. Yeah. It, it helps, but it also, you know, it might not be a photo that that ends up on the front page, but you know, it it's a different photo. It's a it's a f- real life moment, so it's 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 fun. I mean, that's that's really where I get my kicks. Really, is just shooting the features and and knowing that maybe nobody else got that same feature. Yeah, I have a few more questions, but. We have this Patreon feed where that's where people who pay extra money get some extra content. Do you want to take an extra like 15 minutes to the end of this to talk about some like little technical things about sports photography? Yeah, of course. Awesome. So if you're not a Patreon, you got to hop on there and sign up uh, and then you can get some little little bonus content we're going to do with Julio. But to back it up to the, the approach and all of those things, um, what are some of your pet peeves in sports photography? I mean, I, I, don't, I'm not a, I don't consider myself a sports photographer. I'm kind of similar to how AP works where I'm doing kind of everything. I'm doing entertainment. I'm doing news. I'm doing sports. I do commercial work, but I do shoot like 20 football games a year and I cover some basketball, some college football, some MLS now because Nashville got a team. But like, I feel like I see a lot of little pet peeves or kind of things that I wish people didn't do. Do you have any of those or anything that, you know, you kind of like 
Uh, like you mentioned, like the, the person staying in the first base dugout for like nine innings. <laughs> I mean, do you see things like that that maybe maybe bug you or wish that people would kind of um, understand that there's more there's more to it than that, I guess? Or, you know, what I mean, in a teaching moment kind of way. <laughs> right. Well, my my biggest pet peeve has to do with uh, and I call them fantographers, um, you know, the the. the person that somehow got connected and got a, a press pass to go be on the sideline. And it's great because we all started somewhere. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be there, but when they show up and there are like super cheery or, um, or they're not really working, they're, they're doing it more because they want to be on the sidelines. Um, that, that just drives me nuts because I'm trying to work. I'm trying to make the, you know, the best picture I can make. And, and if I'm having to, um, you know, go around people who are just taking up space kind of, uh, uh, annoys, uh, annoys me. But, um, you know, other than that, I, I think, uh, it's just, I don't know. That would probably be it. Yeah. I had, I ran into one of those at the Titans stadium last year and I went and reported the guy. <laughs> I was just like, yo, this dude's out there literally yelling in my ear. He didn't even bring his camera up most of the game. He was just cheering on the sideline, like legitimately like, yeah, let's go, let's go. And I'm just like, whoa, what is this <laughs> guy doing here? <laughs> but it seems, well, we- it seems like, a, it seems like it's just like, I, I don't know. The, the venues are so different venue to venue. I mean, you know, um what they let in and stuff like that but i'm with you i i I feel like there's just like this plague of like oh i really want to do this so i'm gonna get a credential or like that where it's like you know i sold this guy a car that does the credentials here or something (laughs) we we get to do um we we bring runners with us to the games especially to football we don't really do it to a a lot of the other sports uh, unless it's like a big uh heavy uh, important game, but for for every football, we try to bring in at least one runner per photographer. And I'm always, you know, talking to um, the the runners, and I'm telling them, look, don't be that guy that was celebrating in the back of somebody's uh, photo because that's that's a huge no no. There, you know, don't even think about taking a selfie with the player. Don't ever even think about getting an autograph. You know. Um, you're on here, you're working and you're representing AP, uh, during this whole game. So we, we have a high standard of how we operate and how we act. And, and a lot of them seem to get it. Um, I've had people that didn't and they've never came back, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's really important because, uh, for example, that Odell Beckham catch, uh, photo, you know, sometimes something happens and in, in in a game and that photo becomes you know important it, it and it it just becomes very memorable and everything about that photo will be kind of dissected and i remember i, I was on the sideline um i shot the picture and on from my angle it was it was great because um i had nothing but the field in my background, but the people shooting across from us on the other side of the end zone, they have tons of people in the background. We have a runner, uh, or we think it's a runner. We have no idea. Nobody's ever seen them after that game, but he's got his arms straight up celebrating. And I believe that was a USA Today photographer, uh, 
uh, who who had him in his in his frame, and uh, Odell Beckham's falling back with the ball on his three fingers, and this guy like flat out just arms up with Where? the NFL vest on, yeah, yes. Uh, so you know that's that's just every time I see that, I'm like, get that guy out of there, you know. Uh, again, not not to be selfish, it's just. You know, it, it could compromise what we do. It could uh, limit the amount of people they let us. Uh, you know, for for us uh, at the AP, we have uh, a very important contract with the NFL to provide extra pictures from the games, and we we need the the runners to to help us get that job done. And if if runners or other people just kind of ruin that that experience, you know, it kind of hampers of what we do. Yeah, I mean they. I think as a whole, it's just a bad look to be in 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 a professional or top level college event when you don't have the credentials to be there. That's kind of my personal opinion. I tell a lot of young people, I've said it in this podcast, I've said it to everybody, you know, a great portfolio of little leaguers and high schoolers will get you a job. Like you, you don't need those pictures. Like I think so many people trying to get into this are like well, I really hope I do an NFL game or an MLB game, you know, because I really want to get a job in this. And it's like, well, none of us got a job by going to the NFL. Like, I mean, we got the NFL job by going to the middle school and high school games. I mean, I literally could not shoot sports two years before I was shooting the NFL. I was terrible. I was literally terrible. I mean, uh, Professor Snyder at RIT will tell anyone that. I was garbage. <laughs> uh, and But then, you know, you, you fast forward two years of hard work shooting dimly lit high school games and you know then somebody gives you a call up you know and they see oh this dude doesn't suck that bad let's see what he does with a real game and didn't do terrible so i guess they brought me back for another one you know but i I just i get super frustrated with all that credentialing stuff and people like that at the games and you know there's just so many people there already it's like the last thing you need is someone getting in your way i mean a doctor's office doesn't have 20 people in it just because they want to become doctors (laughs) Uh, right it's it's frustrating it's really hard yeah, um, just jumping on that comment, when I got my job at the AP, I, my portfolio had maybe two pro sports photos, um, and it was, and I think both of them were soccer. There w- there wasn't any NFL in there. There was a lot of college football. And like I said, I, I didn't shoot any uh, NFL in, in Houston, so I didn't really have the material. But again, you don't need it. Uh, I, Early on, when I was a junior uh, in college, I got my portfolio ripped apart by a bunch of people, and and one of the um, resounding uh, comments from that was I had a picture of uh, Antonio Villaraigosa, who um, he became the uh, the first Latino mayor in in LA uh, in like 123 or 127 years. I can't remember now, but it it been a long, long time since a a city like L.A. had a Latino mayor, which was big, you know, historical moment. I got a picture of him smiling at the podium, you know, during his celebration speech. And that was on my portfolio. And I thought, well, this is great. This is like shooting the president. This is just and, and people are like, why do you have this picture in here? It's, it's historical. And, and everybody's just kept on telling me, like, what's historical about that? It's just a guy standing there. You don't understand. He he was the first mayor of LA. 
yeah, but that picture does not show that. Um, so just because you have a big name that you photograph doesn't mean it's any good. Yeah. You know, you can have a, a great uh, catch from, uh, you know, high school football game, which it's easier to do because the access is a little bit better and be just as strong as an Odell Beckham catch or, uh, you know, just another uh, of the, you know, key photos. But again, you don't need the big names. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's something that I tell a lot of the students all the time. It's like, yeah, you know, um, I can put a portfolio full of precedents, but all those pictures suck because it's just a guy standing there. Yeah, yeah. If you don't live in D.C., you just basically get the the photo op. <laughs> That's all we get to cover. Um, right. Bringing up the president is a really great segue. Uh, I was actually going to ask you. So we talked about not cheering on the sideline. But I think one of the things that I respect the most about the Associated Press is the fact that they are an objective news source. And I think that's something that um, people kind of lose sight of, no matter what your political affiliations are, whether, I don't know, I mean, there's always talks about the media bias and all this stuff. But the AP holds itself to a pretty high standard of being unbiased. And that comes from covering the president all the way down to covering a football team. Can you talk a little bit about um, what, like maybe the AP kind of commitment to objectivity is? Because I think that's yeah, just like so, a huge thing. I mean, that's like the that's like that's one of the biggest things I like about the AP when it comes to anything they cover. It seems. Yeah, it's definitely something that that we take uh, a lot of pride in. We we constantly talk about it. Uh, every time there's a a worldwide event or a political event that may stir up some opinions and some you know tensions or emotions, whatever, uh, we will get a, a, a little reminder from from a, a bunch of different uh, departments within the company saying, just remember, you know, everything that you uh, say, whether it's in public, whether it's personal, whether it's, um, you know, on social media, you're still representing the AP. So, you had to be really mindful of of that, and because I, like I said earlier, I've, I've been wanting to be a journalist since I was twelve. Uh, for me, it's never been an issue to basically not be uh, outspoken about certain things. You know, being a, an immigrant, I you know I I have you know a, a setup where things could might bother me, might get under my skin, but really it doesn't. And the reason being is because I've basically all my life, I've been a journalist and I wanted to be a, you know, down the middle objective journalist. So it's, uh, it's been, it's been interesting. Um, I, I know that I try to cut ties with uh, people on social media if they become opinionated and they're journalists, because I think they are ruining something that we have that we should be proud of so yeah it's hard and and it's very hard because a lot of this stuff happens and and you just want to laugh or you just want to cry or you might you know whatever the 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 emotion pops out of it but again you just got to think people are, are watching you and um you know my uh, Instagram, for example, it, it's wide open. It's it's not private. It's it's public. So 
if I were to put something on there that, you know, would be remotely biased or, or opinionated, it's going to look bad on me. It's going to reflect on, on the company because I say I'm a, a photojournalist with the AP. So, uh, I take that really, you know, very serious. And, you know, it's, it's funny covering things. Uh, I covered the four, uh, debates in the, uh, 26, 2016, uh, presidential election. So I was, uh, I was in the room with, you know, the, the two candidates and people would talk to me, uh, off and on about it, you know, during that time I was covering that. And I'm like, I have no opinion. I have no, no idea. And I have no comment. And, and I, I think certain people that thought, oh, you know, you can talk to me because this is a private conversation kind of took it personal that I would be like, nope, sorry, I, I'm not sharing any, uh, any uh, opinions, especially politically. Yeah. I, uh, Charles, I'm going to say his last name wrong, probably, but Charles Deropic, he was a staffer in D.C. And I met him when I was in college for the AP, by the way. And uh, I met him in college and he was just like, you have to be fully objective. You don't want anyone to be able to dig back and find anything. And he said, you know, if you're registered to a political party, you shouldn't be. You should have no party affiliation. And I literally went home from that trip and I re-registered as no party affiliation. I, was, I, I wasn't even out of college yet and I still have no party affiliation politically. And it's because of an AP uh, staffer telling me, you know, like, hey, we take this super seriously. And I've kind of been the same way i just figure why why leave anybody any rope uh to hang me with you know kind of thing but i mean i'll talk to people in private about some stuff and things but yeah publicly i'll i'll never have an opinion and it's just like i covered a white supremacist at one point and it'd be pretty easy for anyone to be like well i can bash white supremacists on my instagram or my twitter and i have a bunch of friends who did after like the charlottesville virginia event like what two years ago when the guy ran over the person and killed him right and i obviously like everything didn't say anything and then here i was fast forward and now i'm face to face with a nazi i mean that's what he calls himself uh and trying to garner favor with him to make his portrait you know and i'm sure he went around and found out what i was about afterwards and there were some issues uh afterwards to say the least because of some disagreements between the writer and him but anyways you know when he came to mind i'm sure there was nothing there so he he couldn't be like ah well look at this biased person came to take my picture it was just like there's nothing there man you know yeah and that was that was like the that was a big moment for me which i'd have been doing it for eight years at that point but it was a big moment for me that that said even something as uh as uh, obvious or whatever you want to say as a white supremacist like even that if you said something negative it could come back to hurt you you know or something like that or it could come back to cut down your your coverage or it could come back to you know fuel the fire of those people to say like look at this biased person came to take my picture or tell my story or cover my protest or you know it's like you just don't give them any fuel i guess right it's it's really interesting because journalism or specifically certain uh, news outlets uh, are under attack, uh, quote unquote. You know, I, I feel like a lot of journalists try to kind of defend, but I don't know. I I, I think that's kind of a it, it it's it's a 
really shaky, you know, piece of ice you're working on if um, if you try to defend because then it comes off as you're against it. So again, you know, I I, I see things pop up and I'm just like I'm not gonna comment, you know, or you know, I just it's just not it's not gonna end well. Yeah, you um, you gain nothing is basically what I've told some young people when I've given them why I'm like really strict about that personally and it's it's everybody's opinion i mean i know other photojournalists that are super opinionated and activist type people and that's cool too you know um but there's clients that you're gonna work for that maybe don't like that or you won't work for them because of it and it's also you know that's that's a style of working and things that you can do but it's just different than my goals and it's different from a place like the ap you know Um, which again is kind of like the model uh, I base stuff like this off of. Right. And I'd always secretly love to be a DC photographer at some point in my career. So <laughs> you know, I'm trying to keep that door open. It's it's really interesting because um, I did the uh, the impeachment proceedings, uh, you know, with the team of other AP photographers. Uh, and uh, I don't know, it's it's a the whole different world. You, you have to have a ton of patience, um, but also you got to, you got to be on your toes because things can happen, you know, in a split second. Um, and, and that's just how DC operates is it's, uh, the, the photos that are amazing from, from DC are the like small little nuance, uh, images that just get you, uh, you know, for example, the, the picture of George Bush senior, when he was uh, uh, in a presidential debate and he looked at his watch, like that thing just happened in a split second, you know, and the person that shot that picture got a Pulitzer out of it. Um, So, but again, it's, you're looking at a person, talk, 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 talk. And then that moment happens and you got to be on your toes. So it's like, you, you have to have like a specific type of uh, personality to be able to, you know, go live your life like that, your work life where um, you're just waiting. You're just waiting for that little moment. Um, and and there's a lot of waiting, uh, a lot of, um, at least from my experience from covering the impeachment where I was watching doors for people to come in and out of for hours. And, you know, it's just, it it it's, draining mentally because you're like all right i I can't look away because it might happen yeah Um, it's it's such a different uh mentality and uh you know with sports you kind of can anticipate but with politics you have no idea when when it's coming yeah and it's it's like it's so easy to walk into a political thing and make the picture that they want you to make they being whoever's organizing the press conference or rally or whatever i mean you know clearly if you look at any of them you know they put the flags up they put the thing up they stand where they're going to stand and it's so easy to just walk into that room and make the same picture anyone would with an iphone but it's like where you go above and beyond where you see these amazing political photographers is they know okay but how do i make the picture that really tells the story of what's going on right now you know like you said it's just like finding the angle sitting for hours and both and all of the above and i don't know i'm I'm just amazed out of the the dc photographers i mean i think it's one of the most interesting cities to watch for photography 
despite it being possibly the most boring stuff to photograph. It's like that's that's skill. I mean, I don't I don't think most people could go do what they do. No, no, I I was ready to go home when when that was all over because <laughs> a lot of hours. I mean, it, it was great to see history happen, but um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of hours I'll never get back. Yeah, I did two weeks, two or three weeks in D.C. a few years ago, and it was just like, oh, it was it was just like, okay, now what do we do for the next four hours? Oh, we sit here. I'd be like, what? And they're like, yeah, you just sit right here. And I'm like, and do what? Eh, just wait. Like, I remember Andy and Evan showed me around and it was just like, what do you what do you mean? (laughs) It's just like, no, you just sit right here and wait. It's like. Do we go do we might get lunch in a little bit like it was like oh come on <laughs> uh, yeah and, so, and also it's it's so such a weird like you really need to know your way around too because oh yeah it's a maze uh, it's a maze uh and you know a lot of it it's it's kind of uh co-talk you know they'll tell you you know the the there's somebody at like r150 whatever and you're like oh, what does that mean it's it's some sort of office or some sort of building and you you got to get there um so yeah and it, like, it's, it's interesting somebody somebody when i was there was like somebody from another agency was just like he was like it's all insider baseball man it's 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 knowing that that person standing next to that person is really weird or that's the news you know and i'm like what and they're like yeah you just basically got to read the newspaper every day and know that like person a next to person b does not make sense or if you see those two together or not together it was like oh my gosh like it was it was a whole whole thing um but anyways so i've got these three questions that i've been kind of ending every interview with um they're super simple you can take them as advanced or as basic as you want it's just kind of fun little way to end the interviews um before we hop into the patreon of course um so the first one, and I'm probably butchering these because it's been a few weeks since I did an interview, but uh, the first one is, what is something that you know now that you wish you learned much earlier in your career? Huh. I think uh, networking might be the one thing, uh, just because I think I could have used, really used uh, some more contacts uh, early on to get me uh, access and, you know, just leads, uh, which is kind of what, what I live out of now, you know, basically since I'm, I'm in Baltimore, I got to make sure that the, the city and the state gets covered. So, you know, I, I keep on, on doing that. Even now I'm, I'm, I wish I can know more, more about how to get people to, you know, communicate with you and, and give you that access but again it's it's all networking so uh it would have to be that yeah Uh, technically i think the remotes would be the one but that's always been uh, a learning process yeah i'm i i will shamefully say that i've never run a remote camera in my professional career at least every venue i've worked at i mean other than like you know a pocket wizard on the floor or something like that but like I've never been able to hang one because I've never worked at a venue with a solid roof or that allowed it. So hoping I break that. I was hoping to break it this year, but uh, now we don't have sports. So I'm going to try to, uh, you know, uh, break out the remote cam next year. I'm going to try to get a goal cam above the Preds goal or something like that. That's my goal for the fall. 
Um, so anyways, uh, the second question is, um, what's a piece of gear that you just don't want to go leave house, leave the house without, you know, what, what's a piece of gear, um, or, or an item or something that, you, you know, you just won't go anywhere without this. And, you know, I, obviously we got a second camera or some extra batteries or something like that, but, um, you know, what's something else that you, you just always got to have with you? Um, I'm always, uh, the longer lens that I have, the better. So, uh, I currently have a 500 uh, that was given to me when I came here to Baltimore, and and that's in my car with me every time I leave. And the reason being is, you know, you might be at at the grocery store and something happens and you can't run home and and grab your long lens. So, you know, I, I don't like to talk publicly too much about this, but my car is rigged up so I can, you know, safely keep gear in my car. Uh, when I go into a store or whatever, but um, so that kind of helps me with that peace of mind. But uh, but the bigger peace of mind is knowing that I'll be able to get a picture if something happens, and and I'm just going out for you know I don't know whatever uh, outside my door. You know, that doesn't uh, mean I'm I'm on my way out to work. You know, uh, at all times I have a long lens. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, sports is why I got long lenses, but then I find that I actually use them in news quite a bit. I think it's just, I have a lot of friends who shoot news that don't really own a lot of super long glass because it's super expensive. I understand why they don't, but man, it really unlocks a whole new way of seeing the world, I think. Yeah, and again, you know, I'm this is mostly thinking about uh, breaking news where the access might not be uh the greatest uh so I'm, I'm just trying to think of one situation where i was uh doing whatever and and something happens i i know that i was uh when i lived in jersey uh i was out with friends uh at, at a bar and and a plane uh, a vintage plane landed in the in the river um so got in my car went over and got them pulling it out uh so that was that's the reason why you have it again you don't want to waste time figuring out where your gear is yeah no it's it's a balancing act like you said though between uh security and 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 all that stuff so um so the last question is um we got a we have a better idea of our audience now than we did when we first started but it's a lot of photographers a lot of a lot of younger photographers, but also some mid-career photographers and um, a few photo editors too. I know a couple of photo editors that listen every single week. So, um, but what is like one thing, whether that be uh, a teaching moment or anything that you'd want to tell all of them, um, kind of a moment to get on your soapbox, whether that be good, bad, whatever, um, but just something you'd like to like convey to the audience that you you wish everybody kind of knew this one thing, or you're really appreciative of this or that, or uh, whatever that might be. Yeah, well, the reason I brought up the story about applying at the Houston Chronicle is because every time I talk to classes, and I I, I tend to talk to a lot of high school um, journalism classes just because either my friends became the teacher or, or they know somebody. Um, and and I always say, like, you, you really have to have... Uh, you have to present your way yourself as uniquely, um, you know, away from everybody else because everybody's gonna, or not everybody, but the majority of people are gonna present a kick-ass uh, portfolio. 
everybody's going to have really nice pictures and great moments, but then how do you set yourself apart? So um, I always tell people, you got to, you got to come forward uh, with, with story ideas. You, you got to be ready to, you know, be freestanding. If they tell you, I'm going to drop you into, a, you know, an office in wherever part of the world, you got to, you got to say, okay, well, these are the, the, at least two stories that I would like to do there right off the bat. Um, and they don't have to be hardcore, you know, changing the world stories. It's just, it could be just uh, uh, a simple, uh, you know, something visual. Um, I recently uh, had a conversation about this uh, for, uh, you know, what would I cover in, um, in, in LA uh, if I was there? Because yeah, I'm from LA. Um, and if I were to be back there, what would I, and, you know, the, the Mariachi Plaza in East LA, it's so visual. And, you know, I, I shot it a little bit when I was in college, but not too much just because I was trying to do more sports related stuff. And I wanted, I wanted to break away from, um, just doing, uh, Latin based stories. I didn't want to be pigeonholed as a just you know an immigration photographer or, or you know that type of. I wanted to do it all. Yeah. But but that was like hey you know that's a simple, um story that somebody can do in L.A. and I don't know what it looks like right now and it, it probably looks really cool. There there was a uh, photo uh, on the AP wire uh, this week from a similar plaza in Mexico where all the mariachis uh, are wearing masks. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. With and the I, skull I, mask. I, yeah. I think you might've sent it to me or somebody uh, sent it to me, but, um, but you know, just anybody who's out in LA right now, uh, go, go research that because you know, that, that, that would be, a, that would be something I would want to do. Um, but again, uh, just have a story. Uh, idea or two or you know um that would that would take you a long way i mean obviously it got me a job at the chronicle which you know would kind of help me get further in life yeah that's yeah, a huge huge step but awesome well those are my last three questions uh julio and i are going to hop over to the patreon feed and talk a little more about some some photo tech questions I got for him. Um, I know some of you are already sporting over there, but if you're not, you know, go drop five or 10 bucks in the bin and you get access to more stuff. So um, Julio, how can people find you on Instagram or wherever you like to share content and share stuff? July, the photo guy. So it kind of rhymes. Uh, Julio means uh, July in Spanish. So uh, it's, it's quick, quite simple. July, the photo guy on basically all platforms uh, i do have an a, an ap twitter account uh that's uh ap underscore julio cortez but that's that's the way to go awesome well thanks everyone for for listening and supporting the show um if you're if you're still listening go share this episode you can actually go uh on the episode and, and you can actually use recast to actually share your favorite part of the show i've been doing it um if you haven't noticed on the instagram feed but uh, go do some of that. But thanks so much for listening. Julio, thank you so much for taking the time, man. I know uh, you got a busy life, so I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Reciprocity Podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe and rate us five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you found value in this podcast and want to learn even more, head over to patreon.com slash reciprocity podcast to support the show.